Welcome to Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Today in the program, we'll talk about how the Philippines is coping with the surge in COVID-19 cases, especially in Metro Manila, and whether the current restrictions or approaches being done by the government can make a big difference in terms of curbing the spread of the new coronavirus. The Philippines has logged the highest number of COVID-19 cases considered active here in Southeast Asia, with new infections exceeding 9,000 for a fifth straight day. Rafael Bosano reports. Even as the capital region and nearby provinces have been placed under the most restrictive enhanced community quarantine status, bringing down the numbers will not be easy. Like last year's ECQ, the aim is to greatly reduce the transmission of the virus and allow an ailing healthcare system to breathe. But health spokesperson Maria Rosario Verheri herself believes it will take weeks before results are delivered. On Tuesday, the country logged 9,226 new infections. Nearly 57,000 new cases have been recorded in just six days, surpassing the monthly totals from November 2020 to February 2021. As active cases reach more than 124,000, a lot remain asymptomatic and even more mild. But the fact that almost 1,600 are in severe and critical conditions is something that should not be taken lightly. While age groups have recorded severe and critical cases of the disease, most are still aged 60 and above. The DOH has earlier said that senior citizens are less likely to get infected as they are usually indoors. But if ever they do, they have a higher chance of becoming critical or even die. The Okta Research Group warns the trend of full hospitals is still likely to be the case in the coming weeks. And it will be full for a while because hindi iyan bababa agad-agad yung numbers eh. It, we could have this situation for maybe two or three more weeks at the least. Na yung mga hospitals okay. ay puno. Hindi tayo nagsusugarcoat. I mean, uh, I wish I could give you an, a better, uh, you know, outlook. From 2.05 last week, the reproduction number in the NCR has slightly decreased to 1.86. While it can be seen that the spread has slowed down, this is different from decreasing cases as a 1.86 reproduction number still means that for every 100 COVID-19 patients, 186 more are likely to get infected. Professor David says lower numbers may be recorded in the next couple of days, but this doesn't necessarily mirror the actual situation. Hindi ibig sabihin on a downward trend na tayo kasi every week talaga mababa talaga Tuesdays and Wednesdays numbers and then Thursday tataas ulit. Pero there's another consideration dahil we are expecting that holidays, yung mga ibang testing centers, baka maraming testing centers magka-close during this holy week. It might cause an artificial decrease. It takes around nine days before a patient with COVID-19 is isolated. The DOH explains that this is because it takes a couple of days for the patients to decide whether or not to seek consult and another couple of days before getting tested and actually receiving the results. This means that even before isolation, a patient may have already been able to infect other people. Rafael Bosano, ABS-CBN News. Malacanang says extending the stricter lockdown in Metro Manila and nearby provinces will be the absolute last resort. The health department is supporting calls to extend the ECQ for another week with the unabated rise in new coronavirus cases. Para spokesman Harry Roque says the government's COVID-19 task force will decide on possibly extending the enhanced community quarantine or ECQ this weekend. 
Now, for Vaccine Chief Carlito Galvez Jr., if the virus continues to spread, the strict lockdown measures should continue to be enforced. Para at least uh, continuous ang ating observation, we, maybe, we might continue pa rin yung, ano, yung observation sa bubble kasi nakita natin uh, uh, yung, ano, yung uh, naging uh, experience natin uh, during uh, March, April, and May. Hindi eh, natin mahiwala yung Region 3 at Region 4 at NCR. Nakita natin talaga pagka nag-rise dito sa NCR. Considering that most of the workers are also residing uh, in the uh, Greater Manila area, uh, talaga nakita natin na same intervention dapat ang tingin natin sa Greater Manila area, NCR+. Joining us now is uh, Father Nicanor Ostriaco, a member of the OCTA Research Group. He's also a professor of biological sciences at the University of, the, of Santo Tomas here in Manila. Good morning, uh, Father Ostriaco, and thank you for joining us again in the program. Good morning, Christian. Thank Good you for having me in your program. Okay, given the numbers that we're seeing over the past several days, uh, we know that Metro Manila and nearby provinces are under the strictest lockdown measures under the uh, classification by the Philippine government. There's talk of whether <clears throat> this should be extended or not. But based on the numbers that you're seeing, they think uh, this we have no other choice but to extend the ECQ. Well, uh, so as you can see, the numbers have not really dropped significantly. This is not unexpected because we, we, we anticipate it will take several days before the full effect of the ECQ will be felt on the numbers. So if the reproduction number is going to decrease and we expect it to decrease, it will start to decrease towards the end of this week. So really, we will have to wait for the end of this week to really see the full effect of the ECQ. If you look at mobility data for the NCR, you can already see that the mobility has significantly dropped uh, for the last few days. But the direct effect of that mobility shift and the pandemic <clears throat> dynamics uh, still remain to be seen. We anticipate a drop in the R. We anticipate a drop in the daily cases. We do not know how significant that drop will be but we are hopeful that we will discover this in the next few days. But other experts are saying that, uh, the, the, even the DOH is saying that uh, the minimum number of ECQ or weeks should be two weeks. But in this case, we're dealing with a much bigger surge compared to last year's. Uh, do you think a one-week ECQ would be enough to make a, a real difference in terms of curbing the uh, uh, infections? No, I, I agree with the other experts. Uh, what we do know about this virus is it takes 14 days to starve the virus out. And so we will, we, and when I say we, I mean the, my colleagues and I are in Okta are in support of the other experts who would like the government to extend this for at least one more week because it will take the 14 days to really try to starve the virus from new victims by locking them uh, by by isolating people from each other the challenge now is to dis, to, dis, to to ask the government what will happen after the two weeks so we we at in, at the octa would prefer that we return to an mecq rather than direct, directly to a gcq because we want to again we need some time to observe the numbers we also, as my colleague Professor uh, Guido David pointed out, uh, we expect the hospitals to be overwhelmed for several weeks. So we really need to do what we can to lower the numbers as fast as possible to, pro to protect and preserve our health infrastructure. Okay. If the uh, ECQ is extended by another week, uh, how soon or how long before uh, the difference is actually felt? 
Uh, so again, uh, what you will see is that the by even by next week, we will begin to see the R drop. And so what we would like to see is an extended period where not only would the R will drop, we would like to drop the positivity rate as well. So if you know now the capital is experiencing positivity rates about 18 to 20%, that means 18 to 20 of every 100 people tested is positive. The World Health Organization uh, recommends that a lockdown not be lifted until that number drops below 10 or below 5%. So we would like to give uh, the, the positivity rate time to decrease. It will also allow our LGUs to rebuild our contact tracing capacity. As uh, the contact tracing czar has noted in the last couple of days, um, the contact tracing capacity has pretty much collapsed over the last few weeks because of the sheer number of cases. So what we will, we need a refresh. We need a time out to refresh our contact tracing, to build new isolation and quarantine facilities. And this will allow us to exit the lockdown with decreasing but still high numbers that we can manage properly without risking another surge. Okay, if we are to follow the, uh, the the recommendation coming from the WHO, um, a positivity rate of uh, less than 10% or even 5%, at the rate things are going, how soon before the Philippines gets to that? Uh, again, you see, we have not had an experience of an ECQ with the new variants. So we are hoping it will take several weeks. Uh, we would like this to... And we, we are at a wait and see. We are looking at the numbers as the weeks pass. Okay. Now, let's go to your uh, research. I uh, understand you're uh, doing research on this yeast-based uh, vaccine possibly for COVID-19. Are there any significant developments so far with your research and how soon can this be made available, at least for, uh, for trials? So I've been in the United States for two months now working on our vaccine delivery system. We have, we have taken the yeast. We have... Uh, genetically engineered the yeast to make the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. This has been done. We are now testing to see how well this is being done. I had planned to return to the Philippines last weekend, but this is now delayed indefinitely until the ECQ and the surge have been mitigated. So my students and I continue to test our yeast and we're preparing to return to the University of Santo Tomas where we will test it on animals. Uh and then how soon do you think this could be uh, tested uh, among so, uh So I, only God knows, you know, but we'll do the best science we can. It'll take about probably two to three months before the animal studies are in. And if they are good, then we have to approach the national government to be given permission to do clinical trials. Okay, but but, but how promising really this, uh, this particular um, yeast-based vaccine is? So in theory, it's very good, but as you know, I've been a scientist now for 25 years. What is looks good in theory is not always what happens in reality. So uh, things have been going well so far, but it will, like I said, we are still in pre-clinical pre stages. We will need to test it further. And um, my hope is it will be, we will have some good data, new clinical data by Christmas. Uh, by Christmas, so within this year. How, how yes. about the, the, the concern? Because it is a common concern of the public, uh, given the vaccines are, that are available now, uh, but we are dealing with other variants that are being discovered. Uh, they, they say that there was this locally developed 
uh, uh, variant of uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus here in the Philippines. I mean, can this actually work? So I have two comments in response to that. So variants, there are many variants all the time. Uh, it's not clear if the P3 Philippine variant is actually more infectious. There's no data for that. So it's a variant of interest, not a variant of concern. Secondly, here in the United States, we are developing two, two versions of the vaccine, one against the original strain, and we have just started the development of a vaccine alternative against the variants, against the the South African variant and the P1 Brazilian variant. And so uh, we will be testing both and we might just combine the two. Okay. Now, of course, uh, a lot is at stake in this particular research and um, people are waiting for more vaccinations to happen here. Now, going back to the, uh, the current measures being implemented by the Philippine government here, uh, what are the recommendations coming from Octo Research Group as to what needs to be done, let's say, during the one-week or two-week period to be able to make a real difference or significant uh, difference in terms of curbing the virus? So uh, in terms of quarantine, we have to make this as strict as possible. And our biggest concern is we do not want to relax the quarantine prematurely because that will release virus into the community, which will surge again in two or three months. In terms of vaccinations, of course, we have to vaccinate as fast as possible. And I am grateful to the national government that it's allowing parallel vaccinations of the top three priority groups, A1, A2, and A3, so that we will protect not only our healthcare workers, but also our senior citizens. Um, I'm in the process of completing a model. One of the things we would like to ask as Okta is we would like to ask what is the most effective strategy for vaccination? Should we spread the vaccinations out throughout the country? Should it be the NCR only, the NCR plus only, or the metropolitan areas of Manila, Cebu, and Davao together? So we are developing a model to try to, to develop a science-based response to this, to optimize the rollout of the limited stocks of vaccines we have in order to most quickly shut down the pandemic as well as to decrease the number of infected Filipinos. Uh, we expect that uh, we're working overtime and the model should be done by the end of this week. But uh, isn't there any such model before available with the national government, with the national task force, to be able to give them a good idea as to whether the, the, the current rollout of the vaccines would make any difference? So uh, I am not familiar with the national government's attempts to model geographic distribution. There are certainly models out there, but what we did, what we discovered over the last couple of weeks is that there are shortcomings for DOH data that make these models that are available, which, really, which usually involve machine learning, um, these models are not able to deal with the, the shortcomings of DOH data. So we actually had to build a model just for the Philippines, given our restrictions of our data, to be able to understand in the most efficient way how to distribute these vaccines. Especially with the limited number of doses that are being made available exactly. here in the Philippines, right? Exactly. And, you know, uh, yesterday, uh, Secretary Galvez uh, explained in a very detailed manner to a in a briefing to the Congress how many doses will be available every month for the next for until Christmas. So we are taking that data into account to try to figure out again what is the best way 
to distribute those amongst the different populations in our country. But, but, but logic, logically, given the limited number of doses that we're seeing now, isn't it uh, just logical to focus the vaccination in Metro Manila and nearby provinces which are experiencing uh, this surge in COVID-19 cases? So yes, so it is logical, but we have to have it scientifically sound as well. So that's why we're developing this vaccine. And so when we say, is it NCR or NCR plus, which one should get it first? Furthermore, I think that an argument can be made that regardless of the overall strategy, one of the things we must do is to protect all our medical frontliners. So, for example, there's a way where I think we're, where we're, we're moving towards a model where we can vaccinate all our, our medical frontliners around the country, maybe even all our senior citizens, and then after that, focus the, everything else on the NCR or the NCR plus in order to cut the head of the snake off, you see? So the idea is that we remove most of the sources of infection and then the rest of the country can heal simply by shutting down for two or three weeks because the, 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 the nest of infection has been eradicated. And in the meantime, there, there has to be uh, more testing done, right? As recommended by, by, by experts, especially during this, uh, this one-week ECQ. Do you think that's possible given the, 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 the track record of the government in terms of uh, mass testing? So uh, the government has um, announced it will be increasing its antigen, rapid antigen testing, and that can be properly deployed during time of surge. So there is, there is data that supports that proposal of the IATF. Uh, the question of increasing swab testing, that will take time because you have to get more tests, you have to get more labs. My hope is that we will continue to uh, roll out increase capacity for swab testing. But for now, in the middle of a surge, antigen testing is pretty much the best thing we can do because what that will do is it will automatically identify the positives. Uh, a negative is not certain, but a positive is certain. So if you antigen positive test, then we know you have COVID. But if you test negative on an antigen test, we do not know, so you have to do a swab. So this way we can preserve some of the swab because we can guarantee that the people who are positive do not need a swab and they can go into isolation and quarantine. Okay. Father Nicanor Ostriaco, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Christian. God bless you. God bless you also. Joining us now is Undersecretary Leopoldo Vega. He's the country's COVID-19 treatment czar. Good morning, sir, and thank you for joining us on the program. Good morning, Christian, and good morning to everybody. Okay, based on that report, for instance, we saw that there was at least one case where um, um, a COVID-19 patient uh, died before he could get treatment. Uh, how rampant is this, as far as you know? Uh, how overwhelmed is our uh, hospital bed or our hospital so far, especially in Metro Manila and nearby provinces as we speak? Uh, that is really very unfortunate to hear, uh, Christian. Um, and uh, we are seeing really uh, a surge in the number of cases, especially for the level V and intensive care unit here in uh, NCR. We've noticed a rise in the number of admissions, especially for COVID and isolation beds, to about uh, 76 a day average here in Metro Manila. But in the intensive care, especially with the level three hospitals, it's uh, in the high risk category, also in uh, Taguig, Bacati, Manila, and uh, Quezon City. 
and the Malabon. And I think there are problems like because the emergency room uh, has a whole spectrum of covering uh, medical and surgical uh, non-COVID emergencies and with the probable suspected and positive COVID cases. So there is a, a surge in the different um, emergency rooms and even the hospitals. And that's why we're trying to coordinate this here for uh, a possible referrals in the other regions outside of Metro Manila in Region 3 and Region 4. But uh, we are coping this up in terms of uh, expanding the number of uh, uh, infrastructure by uh, the setup that we did since last year of a modular field hospital uh, uh, in Metro Manila and in Batangas. And uh, the one in the Lung Center has just been operated, uh, the 44-bed modular hospital, and also in Tala, where we were able to uh, expand the air. Uh, Jose Rodriguez Memorial Hospital into a field hospital with 44 beds. And this April 8th, uh, we are going to operationalize uh, the uh, Quezon Institute Modern Hospital or field hospital managed by Jose Reyes. And uh, so these are things that we are really trying to uh, expand because uh, the, uh, the number of, uh, especially the allocated beds here for COVID is not enough to cover the surge that we have this is roughly more than we saw in August of 2020. Mm -hmm, definitely. But in terms of uh, building these so-called field hospitals or modular hospitals, how, how quickly can they be built? Uh, they can be built in 45 days. Uh, what we did in, in the one in Long Center, we started uh, constructing it with the DPWH uh, last November and it became operational. So in that the DPWH promised us that uh, they can do this in 45 days. But there are now uh, field hospitals that are uh, in existence and, of course, operational in Lung Center and in Tala and soon in uh, Keton Institute. Okay. Now, so far, uh, how long before a patient uh, gets admitted or gets treated? Uh, I understand you have the so-called uh, one uh, hospital command center. How long is the waiting time here? Uh, this, this is because of the surge, uh, the one hospital command is also uh, experiencing a, a lot of strain and a number of calls. Uh, so we, in, in, with respect to with the number of calls uh, last month, we had an average of almost uh, 68 to 70 calls per day. But now we are receiving almost uh, 400 calls per day. And it, it, uh, it kind of overwhelms also the... the uh, the uh, number of uh, agents that are going to refer patients to the different hospitals. So this is one of the weaknesses that we have. And we are seeking the understanding and the patience of the public because we're trying to improve our uh, command center so we can best uh, respond and serve the public better. But uh, the uh, turnaround time for uh, a patient to seek medical attention in the different hospitals will really depend on the vacancies that they would have. So if you can actually see from our dashboard, a vacancy somewhere or a level two hospital uh, or a level one hospital that we can offer, that we, that we will have a faster turnaround time if the patient also agrees to uh, the transfer to uh, a certain uh, institution. And usually what are the other complications being countered here? For instance, um, okay. one big we, problem we is they have to wait, of, right? Yeah, yeah, the challenge is really is one of... Uh, uh, seeking uh, the, uh, the uh, 
they can see different uh, hospitals here and the neighboring region. And the second would be uh, the transport. No? If we are able to find a hospital, we need to contact uh, the uh, local government units or any uh, ambulance services that can actually ferry them from one institution to the other. Mm -hmm. Now, based on the numbers that we are seeing, you said that, of course, uh, the government is capable of building field hospitals within 45 days. But here you're seeing over the past several days, uh, more than 9,000 cases. Uh, just uh, considering, let's say, 20% of those uh, uh, those tests, the positivity rate natin of, of 20%, right? So it's uh, quite easy to project that uh, quite easily our, our healthcare system can be, especially our bed capacities, can easily be uh, um, overwhelmed. Yes, uh, you know, uh, uh, Christian, uh, we should we we you you be you should understand that the uh, the turnaround time for a patient in the intensive care unit is uh, a minimum of about 10 days. And roughly, if you're admitted as a COVID ward for isolation, the minimum is also about 10 days to 14 days. But the ICU can extend after more than uh, 30 days. In other words, there's a longer uh, turnaround time. So mm -hmm. if we, have, we only have uh, 600 plus 72, I think, right now of intensive care units allocated for COVID in the Metro Manila. So if we have a surge and uh, if we assume that uh, even a two percent of uh, of that is meaning to say on a daily basis, uh, this will actually uh, come up with the uh, a number of queues that we have in intensive care because the turnaround time really is much longer. And the longer the surge would be, the, the, the longer uh, the longer would be the queue for uh, the COVID tests in intensive care units. And that's the reason why we are trying to uh, decongest these hospitals, especially if they admit mild and asymptomatic cases to, to just uh, occupy uh, the uh, temporary treatment facilities or isolation centers manned by Oplan uh, Kalinga or the Lohon government unit because we can actually uh, uh, open up uh, a number of spaces for the institution. Okay, how about doctors? Um, how many doctors are needed? Because uh, based on the account in certain hospitals, they're actually looking for more doctors to, to man the stations, for instance. And we understand it's not easy to look for medical professionals who will attend to uh, specifically COVID-19 cases, right? Or ICUs. Right, right. So, we have, right. so we have started uh, augmenting uh, the different institutions by uh, one is two deployment of uh, government doctors or even uh, voluntary doctors coming from the provinces that uh, they can uh, actually uh, work and uh, be part of the institution that they would choose. And we, we have already gathered about 40 of them coming from the different provinces, and uh, they are going to be assigned in the different institutions. The other is uh, we are doing a mass hiring. That's uh, what we did also last year. We were able for last year, we were able to accommodate about roughly about 8,000 uh, healthcare workers across the country. And for the NCR for last year, about uh, 3,000 was allotted in terms of uh, the uh, healthcare workers. As of the present right now, we are also accepting uh, different uh, needs coming from the different institutions, like uh, PGA Avenue, uh, we already uh, uh, supplemented them or gave them the, uh, the augmented uh, workforce for the healthcare workers. All they have to do is to write the Department of Health so we can actually prepare uh, the uh, the, uh, the need for the hospital in terms of the human resource and prepare the budget for it. Okay. And, of course, uh, do you have an idea of how many, so far as you speak, 
frontline health workers actually down with the uh, with uh, with COVID-19, meaning the active cases. And uh, for instance, what kind of uh, uh, benefits or compensation they are getting as they battle this uh, this this virus themselves? Yeah, uh, uh, I don't have the exact number now, Christian, of how many healthcare workers were affected, but uh, we, we are able to uh, give already the compensation benefits, especially for those uh, 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 healthcare workers who want mild, moderate, uh, severe, and even died. And uh, we uh, we are we had almost uh, uh, prepared uh, all of since of March of 2020. We were able to give out a number that's close to about the 7,000 plus uh, healthcare workers to benefit from compensation coming from uh, the national government. Mm. Of course, there are also those that are saying that uh, that, that the one-week lo lockdown might not be enough, definitely to deal with this latest surge, especially. Uh, since we're also dealing with other COVID-19 variants, unlike last year, right? So, based on your right, experience right. Uh, as treatments are, do you really think that this could make any big difference, a one-week lockdown, or we have no other choice but to extend this? Yeah, uh, we, we, we need to find out from the, the data as we move along uh, in terms of the number of cases that we see. And uh, if there is an uptick in this, uh, in this, uh, or the other uh, surge from moving up in terms of uh, the restrictions that we're doing, I think we have to move and extend it uh, primarily because we need, to, we have to make sure that uh, there is not going to be another big surge, and that will actually overwhelm the capacity of the health system. Okay. Now, of course, speaking of uh, the need to make sure that our entire healthcare system won't be overwhelmed, especially by this latest surge. Uh, we know that there are protocols in place coming from the national government and also as implemented in the local government level. But let's say in terms of a person who tested positive for COVID-19 but showing uh, no symptoms, uh, is it really clear as being implemented on the ground as to what to do with that particular person? Uh, does he or she need to, let's say, go to the hospital right away, seek isolation, uh, be extracted out of the house? What is the protocol once and for all? Because we've been hearing a lot of questions regarding this. What if I test positive but I don't show any symptoms? What if the symptoms are mild? What should I do? Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, I think it's very clear that uh, in order to prevent the transmission is that all positive cases, whether you are mild or asymptomatic, you should be isolated and uh, brought into an isolation center with the local government unit because they would know coming from the great beaver to Barangay, who the people are. And if you have symptoms, uh, that even if you have no testing, I think uh, you should be, you should be uh, quarantined or isolated. And, uh, and uh, all of those uh, uh, people who had, uh, who had been near to the index state with a positive case, definitely they should all be isolated. So what I'm saying is we need to have uh, aggressive uh, testing and aggressive isolation because the transmission of this virus is totally different compared with last year. It's uh, highly contagious, uh, what we see now, and there are a number of cases that uh, you get to see on a daily basis. So the only way to prevent the transmission or the, uh, the R0 or the uh, rate of reproduction of this virus is to make sure that uh, all positive asymptomatic, uh, they must be isolated and uh, they must be given the proper uh, 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 facility for that. And all of those contact trace with this uh, index state should have uh, should be uh, at least uh, isolated also and uh, 
and go to a treatment or isolation facility. Okay, and of course, as as admitted by your by some of your fellow government officials, uh, this particular aspects in our approach against COVID nineteen still need a lot of improvement. I'm talking about mass testing and of course. Uh, aggressive contact tracing. Now, as a final point, uh, under Secretary Vega, I'd like you to address this, uh, this, uh, this, this concern, this criticism coming from a lot of people uh, regarding how the the national government has been dealing with this pandemic since last year. Uh, are, were we caught yeah. off guard by this latest surge that perhaps we didn't anticipate that this could actually be this big, despite the uh, predictions already being uh, made by a lot of experts? Were we caught off guard by this? Yeah, uh, uh, I think what happened was uh, there was a sudden uncertainty and unexpectedness that came along the way. Uh, we were expecting that the surge would come right after December and after the holidays and after the fiesta if the Santorini uh, voted to move in Manila. But uh, apparently there was only an uptick and then the uh, presence of the variant was reported uh, early February and then... Uh, after that, we had a very uh, uh, unexpected uh, rise, uh, which we thought was just an uptick, but it came out in a surge. And, uh, and uh, so most of the uh, uh, institutions uh, were, were not uh, suddenly ready for this because uh, some of the uh, uh, hospitals at this time, institutions were already uh, converting their COVID beds towards uh, non-COVID because there were a number of non-COVID uh, patients who also needed admission and also needed the required treatment. So uh, uh, the number of beds uh, actually uh, contracted. So they had to readjust. Everybody had to readjust the institutions uh, in terms of the allocation for the COVID beds because of the sudden rise that we had. It was actually quite the number that we saw in all the situations. Okay, Undersecretary Leopoldo Vega, thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. All right. Some cities in Metro Manila have begun to vaccinate senior citizens and those with comorbidities against COVID-19. But the country's vaccine chief says upcoming deliveries from the COVAX facility are delayed due to export restrictions. Vivian Guglia tells us more. The country's vaccine czar, Secretary Carlito Galvez Jr., expects a slight delay in deliveries of COVID-19 jabs to the Philippines from the World Health Organization-led COVAX facility. The Philippines initially expected the delivery of close to a million doses of AstraZeneca vaccine from COVAX this March or early April. But India, the world's biggest vaccine maker, puts a temporary hold on exports of AstraZeneca's COVID vaccine being manufactured by the Serum Institute of India as officials focus on meeting rising domestic demand. vaccination program for the first quarter and second quarter will be affected by the developments that some of the countries are prohibiting yung export not only the vaccine but also yung raw materials. Galvez says Philippine authorities are trying to facilitate the remaining commitment of COVAX. He notes officials are also using our diplomatic relations with different countries such as China and Russia. San Juan City begins rolling out COVID vaccines to the second and third priority sectors, the elderly and persons with comorbidities. Senior citizens like 69-year-old Chap Banal received AstraZeneca's COVID jab while those with comorbidities like Janeline Aquino received Sinovac's COVID-19 vaccine. 
hindi na siya ganong ka masyadong high risk. Huwag po silang matakot. Uh, kasi naman po, uh, chinecheck up po tayo ng mga doktor kung po pwede o hindi. Sinovac's emergency use authorization recommended the vaccine for clinically healthy individuals aged 18 to 59 years old. But the health department says it may be used on those with controlled comorbidities based on the recommendations of the Health Technical Advisory Council and the National Immunization Technical Advisory Group. San Juan Mayor Francis Zamora says the local government is making plans to vaccinate senior citizens who are having difficulties traveling to the vaccination site. Hindi na naman natin pwedeng paghintayin na matagal po yung mga senior citizens sapagat prone din naman po talaga sila sa COVID-19, pati po siyempre yung persons with comorbidities. Quezon City has also started vaccinating seniors and persons with comorbidities. Those who registered online are given priority, but they also accommodate walk-ins. To register, residents may sign up at Easy Consult website or app using their email and mobile number or seek assistance from village officials using their Q-Citizen ID. But since Q-Citizen ID registration sites are closed under EZQ, residents may register online via qceservices.kazancity.gov.ph. Mandaluyong City also encourages residents to register online as it begins vaccinating senior citizens Tuesday. Among the vaccine recipients is Kamalek Chairman Benjamin Abalos Sr. I would advise everybody, huwag kayong matakot. I stayed long sa loob dahil sa napakarami na Local governments hope more vaccine supplies will arrive in time for the schedule of the second dose. Vivian Gulia, ABS-CBN News. Joining us now is Makati City Mayor Abigail Binay. Good morning, Mayor. Thank you for joining us on the program. Morning. Let's start with the COVID-19 situation in Makati City. How many active cases they have so far? 1,072 as of yesterday. Okay, 1,072, and how's your uh, hospital capacity so far, given this uh, this number? Oh, our hospital capaci capacity since two weeks ago has, has been 100%, and we still have people on the wait list. Okay, so what happens, uh, what, what happens to those who are still on the waiting list? How are they? Uh, they are in the emergency room, but they do not have a bed. Uh, but as of yesterday, we have been able to complete the renovations for the PEMBO, uh, quarantine facility, which is our step-down facility, which will which will add 45 additional beds um, for our hospital. Okay, 45 additional beds. And uh, given the numbers that you're seeing in Makati City, uh, do you think this, this current uh, measures that are being put in place would be able to deal with the surge? Of course, the, the local initiatives are not sufficient. That's why we are hoping that uh, the... This, the national will help us with the isolation facilities, uh, which was the arrangement last year. Uh, unfortunately, even the, na the national isolation facilities and quarantine facilities are already full. Mm. Um, in the in before we would send people to Tagaytay care of the uh, national government, but it seems even the national government is having difficulty. Um, with the surge in the number of people that require a facility. So, so now, how long is the turnaround time? How long does a patient usually uh, needs to wait before he or she gets treated? Oh, I don't have that. I don't have that information. It really depends on how many people are still waiting in the hospital. 
uh, and I'm only talking about uh, Hospital na Makati. I don't know why. Uh, all I know about Makati Medical Center is that they're full. I don't know their turnaround. But as of last week, when I spoke to the medical director, 30 people were on the wait list uh, that are still in the emergency room waiting for a bed. Mm -hmm. So in this case, you, know, the, you have this step-down facility to be able to deal with the with the surge uh, in, in the number of cases, right? But uh, what, what is your current uh, reproduction number in Makati City now? Oh, my APR? I don't know. I'll have to double-check. Uh, you know, those things are being closely monitored by the DOH. Um, we, for the city, don't really look at those numbers. What is more important for us is how many people go to the hospital asking for medical attention. Um, the ADR, the reproduction, the reproduction rate are closely being monitored are more important as far as the national government is concerned. But as far as the city concern, is concerned, we, what we look at is the number of beds that we have, the number of people that we are monitoring, the number of people that require medical attention, um, not too much the not the ADR, not the reproduction rate. Uh, as far as we're concerned, um, we also have to consider the backlog. It depends on how many um, positive positive tests have been downloaded to the city that we still need validation. With the 1,074, we still have a back we still have a backlog because again, even even uh, my frontliners get sick. We're not at 100% capacity because people also get sick. People from City Hall get sick. My doctors get sick. My nurses get sick. My SESO get sick. So um, it is not just the general population that gets sick. So manpower is an essential requirement to be able to address this, this surge. So for instance, in the uh, case of Hospital na Makati, um, how many doctors do you need, for instance, in terms of uh, boosting your frontline uh, healthcare workers to deal with the specific surge? The Not just the number of doctors that we need, we need the number of doctors that don't get sick. Uh, yeah. Currently now, my head of the nursing department is, in, is intubated uh, and is in the ICU. So... Um, we we have an opening for nurses and doctors, but there but no one wants to apply. No one wants to apply. We we initially had a bunch of nurses that applied, and they just they just decided to quit. <laughs> so um, a lot of people are scared, even the medical even the medical field medical practitioners to come to work, or even apply for the job. So it's it's very difficult. The I think it's unfair also to keep to keep on expecting so much from the LGU, yeah. um, and those are situations that we that is not peculiar to Makati, but is currently being experienced across the country. Yeah, definitely. So 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 definitely, you also you're also experiencing the shortage in terms of. Uh, Medical frontliners. Yeah, not just the not just the beds, not just the medicine, not but also the more important is the manpower. Okay. Now, of course, the approach of the national government uh, was to place uh, Metro Manila and the nearby provinces uh, under ECQ, but uh, for now, it's uh, it's for one week. Do you think this is enough, based on the experience of Makati City, to be able to slow down the spread? <clears throat> we know for a fact that you need to wait for fourteen days. So one week is we know that is too short. But I think the the national government or any government, any LGU for that matter, cannot afford a, 
uh, a citywide lockdown for more than one week. There is an expectation when there is an ECQ that you're supposed to give out ayuda to everybody. And at this point, the LGUs are focused on so many things. We're focused on the vaccination. We're focused on addressing the addressing the surge. Uh, last night, we had a meeting with the national government regarding the distribution of the 1,000 ayuda. That's another thing that we will have to we will have to consider and worry about in the uh, and be able to deliver quickly uh, and efficiently. So. There's really a lot in, in the LGU's plate as of today. So one one week, it really, you know, at the end of the day, it depends on the national government. It depends on the DOH. It, it depends on the president if he wishes to extend the ECQ. Um, whatever they decide, we follow. Um, whatever support they give, we accept. Whatever support they do not give, we make do. It sounds so. Uh, it sounds so uh, disheartened. Of course, understandably given the uh, situation in Makati City. Speaking of this one thousand peso assistance uh, to the residents affected by this uh, lockdown, uh, this this will be given in kind, right? So, what was the agreement with the national government? No, the the agreement with the national government is it can be given in cash or in kind. Ah, so dalawa, two options, in cash or in kind. Yes, you, you. But the thing is, if you do it in kind, do we have enough time to have to purchase and repack? Uh, I'm supposed to give. I I was given the amount given to the city is 517 million. So supposedly, I have 517,000 recipients. So for me to be able to repack for 507,000 recipients if I plan to give in kind. That's in one week. I think that's not logistically possible. Um, so it would be easier to just give uh, the cash to the beneficiaries. And you have the list already? Actually, there's no list. It, the LGU will be the one to determine who will be given. So that's another challenge that we will have to do today. Uh, they will be downloading the money today and we will start off, off with the SAP beneficiaries since they've already been pre-selected. Um, we were given a very thin guide, very short guideline on how to choose the beneficiaries. But again, this is going to be very difficult for the LGUs because if you choose one, 10 will get mad at you. Yeah. So I hope that everybody can can get but it's not possible because the the resources are finite and so okay. we will be able to be give be giving 1000 to 517419 individuals so not necessarily families because and that is the part of the guideline Definitely. And in reality, how soon can that uh, 1,000 peso financial assistance be given? Is that even possible to provide that within a week? Yeah. Um, we will be, when we were doing our um, Makati Economic Relief Program where we gave 5,000 pesos, we were able to do that because of the uh, the GCash that we had a set up with. So we, we chances are we will be using the same setup we will do it electronically and cashless because we wouldn't want people to come out and congregate into 
into a mass gathering. So chances are we will do everything electronically. So the bigger challenge will be identifying. That's the more the bigger challenge, identifying the, the recipients. Because there is also a condition that you should not give more than 4,000 per family. Mm. So having to we still have to make sure that we are not giving more than 4000 in one family okay makati city that's a big, mayor that's a challenge okay makati city mayor abibinay thank you very much for joining us on the program this morning And that's our program for today. I'm Christian Esguera. Again, you can listen to our Matters of Fact uh, interviews in our pod Matters of Fact podcast available on Spotify, Apple, Google, and Stitcher. You can also get all the exclusive content on ANC's YouTube channel. Stay with us. See you again on Monday. Thank you for watching.